Hey, good morning, Veritas. Good morning. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, man, once again, thank you for leading us, you guys. The, that, well, every song is just so anchored in Scripture. And so as you focus on those songs and, and not just, you know, follow them and repeat back, but actually let those words seep into your soul already, God's Spirit has been um, stirring us and moving us toward the grace and truth of the gospel. So glad, glad you're here. Uh, I and a few others just returned um, from probably my favorite place on earth, uh, from Zambia. So I just wanted to show you a couple pictures. Um, things never quite go as planned, but we ended up making it there. Uh, didn't get a bunch of our baggage at first, had to wait on that, had a broken down bus. I mean, that's just kind of life in Africa. Everything seems to, you know, have its perils and, and curveballs thrown at us. But uh, you'll see some of these guys running around here today because I think everybody has arrived back safe and sound. But these actually aren't the stars of the team. Well, some of them are over there on the right. But anyway, go, go to the next uh, picture. These, these are some of the guys that are, um, man, my heroes, the, the men who have encouraged me and inspired me maybe more than anybody I've ever met on this planet toward faith, toward enduring faith. Um, because we had to cancel a lot of our programming, we were going to have a pastor training, we were going to have this whole children's program, and all the stuff we were going to do, they had a spike in COVID, we had to cancel all the gathering things, but it allowed us just to spend just long time. In fact, at one point when the bus broke down, I grabbed my friend Joe, I said, hey Joe, let's just go sit in the grass. There's this, all this elephant grass off the tarmac, went over, just pushed down some of the grass, sat and just had this long talk about his vision for what the future's going to hold. And everything. It was just you know, not what we planned, but exactly what God had planned for us. So if you go to the next uh, slide, um, this is uh, too long of a story to tell you. Uh, Durham, you might be the only one in the room that can read that. It's ancient Hebrew. Uh, these guys are all examples of servants of God. And so they wear the, I, I gave those, a, a buddy of mine made these for them. They wear them because I think they've earned them. I wear this to remind me to live a life that's kind of in their shadow and urge me on to live in a way like that. So uh, we, we had an incredible moment of coming together around this eved about being a servant of God. So anyway, too much to, to tell all, but um, we're hopefully going to be able to keep leaking out progress that's going on, incredible progress for the gospel. Guys, through those uh, just magnificent brothers and sisters in Christ, just through this little network alone, 402 churches have been planted all around that region of, of Zambia, 402. And we're talking about not just little pockets, we're talking about mud brick buildings with 100 plus people gathered on the Lord's Day, 402. Is that unbelievable? I mean, just the progress of faith is inspiring. So today we're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy. Hopefully you've been with us. If you're new to um, Veritas, this is the, just the most recent book that we're doing this with. We grab a book of the Bible, and we, we just plow through it together. So we're in the book of 2 Timothy, deep into the New Testament. Um, you can make your way there. But actually, before we get to our passage in 2 Timothy, it's all about enduring faith and, and prodding us, teaching us how to hold on to enduring faith. I thought maybe the most excellent way that we could prepare our hearts to receive that word would be to go back and rehearse 
a prayer that we have been praying together for many, many months, Psalm 23. So if you will, will you stand with me? And I'm actually, keep, keep your uh, Bible open to 2 Timothy. We're going to get there. But together, let's, let's meditate on as we read and pray this together, the truths that are in Psalm 23, because embedded in, in this beautiful psalm um, are the same truths that Paul now is going to be bringing us in 2 Timothy when we get there. So let's do this out loud together. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. So Jesus, I just pray these truths over us this morning, Lord. We can sometimes find ourselves in those beautiful green pastures, and when that happens, Lord, I pray that we would have hearts of gratitude, serenity, peace, thanking you each day for the green pastures and the, the goodness that is just so evident all around us. Sometimes, Lord, those green pastures are followed by dark valleys. They're scary to us. But the reason that we don't fear in those moments, the reason fear doesn't overwhelm us, is because you're with us. And you give us those moments to, to catch our breath, to... Remember that you are the one that can renew us and strengthen us and, yeah, carry us through. So, Lord, we need your word. Uh, we forget these truths. We can rehearse them, repeat them back in prayer. But, Lord, sometimes when we need them the most, they just kind of escape us. So I pray, God, that today you would take these words of grace and truth and just seal them in our hearts and souls. Allow your truth, Lord, to transform our thinking, our minds, so that we could honor you and, and live the kind of life that would demonstrate that you, God, are with us. That's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So um, not only did I want to start with Psalm 23, before we get into Paul's words, um, we're going to take a look at some words from the Veritas becoming our patron saint, Elizabeth Elliot. I know you, people are probably rolling their eyes. How many quotes from Elizabeth Elliot are you going to give us? I don't know. They just keep coming to us. And so uh, a bunch of us are kind of binging on Elizabeth Elliot these days. All right. And, and I rediscovered this quote and it just so, I, I just thought, okay, I'm just going to embarrass myself. And once again, quote Elizabeth Elliot to you guys, because I think she captures what we're about to read. There have been some hard things in my life, of course, as there have been in yours, and I cannot say to you I know exactly what you're going through, but I can say that I know the one who knows, and I've come to see that it's through the deepest suffering 
that God has taught me the deepest lessons. And if we'll trust him for it, we can come through to the unshakable assurance that he's in charge. He has a loving purpose. And he can transform something terrible into something wonderful. Suffering is never for nothing. That last uh, line is actually the title of her book, and it's available out there. But somebody that has known a lot of suffering and yet has learned those invaluable lessons because Jesus has taught her those lessons. And um, what I want to know, and the question I want us to be asking together this morning is, How can we tap into that enduring faith that is so clearly present in Psalm 23? David's heart, does he pen that? How can we tap into that enduring faith of somebody that suffered greatly but has come through like she has, like Elizabeth Elliot? What's the secret to enduring faith? What what does it look like for me to actually have that kind of enduring faith? Um, Well, that's that's what Paul wants to answer for us in 2 Timothy chapter 2. So, um, I actually want to start reading from verse 1. Brian Dermody did a magnificent job of of walking us through the passage that's going to draw us into this week's passage. And at the tail end, we have the beginning of chapter 2, where he says, You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I just want to say, by the way, that I was really grateful that Brian Dermody was the one called upon to, to preach, especially 2 Timothy 2, 2, because I think he embodies that. I think that's, he lives that out, and so I was eager to learn from a guy who, these are not just words on a page, uh, he lives that out. But then the passage for today, beginning in verse 3, where he says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead and descended from David according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. All right, so here I think what we've got are some really key, important lessons for us in how to tap into that enduring faith. What's it look like to have faith that doesn't weaken, doesn't crumble, but endures and is strengthened even by by suffering? You can see the theme of suffering all the way through this book, but maybe especially concentrated in this passage uh, right away, the very first words, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So the first point, if if you're a note taker, the first point that I want to bring out is that Paul is going to help us understand enduring faith first by looking to some human examples, by looking to soldiers, by looking to athletes, by looking to farmers, these illustrations. He's, he's learned well from his master, Jesus, right, that often used stories, parables, illustrations. And so what he's going to do is he's going to try to say, 
like, I, I want to help you know what enduring faith is. Here, I want you, he's going to start pointing at some, some people around, say, do that, right? So the way that those African pastors that I just showed you are, are models for me. They, they, even this morning, Lord, help me to follow their model, follow their example. God gives us human examples to follow ultimately the grace and truth of Christ. So the first one is this good soldier, right? So follow the example of a good soldier. So what is it about a good soldier that Paul wants to tap into? Well, he, talk, he says specifically, share in suffering as a good soldier. So here's the deal. The reason that soldiers, and there are some in, in the room right now, the reason that soldiers share in suffering is because they aren't concerned about their own agenda. Soldiers, by definition, the good ones, are not concerned about their own goals, right? They have one thing in mind, they have one job, and that is to please their commanding officer. The only thing I have to focus on, the only thing I concentrate on is taking orders and doing exactly what I'm told. I am to please my commanding officer. It doesn't matter what I had in mind, no matter what I aspired to, I'm to please the commanding officer. So whether that means you know, doing something heroic, like charging into battle, even as dangerous as it is. Um, that, that's what I've been told to do. Or maybe it's while all your buddies are off charging into battle, you're the one cleaning up the mess tent. It doesn't matter. Whatever that commanding officer has told you to do, whether great and heroic or mundane and something you'd never want to do, you're, as a, as a good soldier, you just say, yes, sir, right? Yes, ma'am, whatever. I, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever you tell me to do. It's to honor and obey. So, um, man, this week, one of the stories that, that Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot told as I was walking with her, as she's, you know, teaching me in my ears, um, she told the story of this guy that he was actually convinced that God wanted him to do something, but he didn't want to do it. And so he went to his pastor and he said, man, you, can, you, can you help me? Because I, I know God is calling me to do this, but I don't want to do it. And I don't remember the situation. Was it that he had a, an unbelieving girlfriend and, and he knew that he wasn't to, you know, link up with somebody that's an unbeliever to draw him away from Christ? Whether it was, uh, you know, God was calling him to give something away that was of great value and he didn't want to. I don't remember exactly what it was, but all I know is he knew for sure God was calling him to do something and he wanted to say no to the Lord. So the pastor said to him, he goes, I'm going to write two words on this piece of paper. I'm going to fold it up. I want you to go away, spend some time with the Lord, open it up, and you've got to cross off one of the two words. So, pastor wrote, folded it up, handed it to him. The young man went away by himself, got alone with the Lord, and when he opened it up, there were two words, the word no and the word Lord. So he realized, right, in that moment that to hold on to the word Lord, he was going to have to cross off the word no, <laughs> right? But conversely, if he wanted to hold on to his no, he had to cross off the word Lord, because you can't hold on to both, <laughs> right? If Jesus Christ is truly Lord of all, there is no such thing as saying no. Jesus Christ is our commanding officer. Jesus Christ is Lord. And so suddenly I'm finding myself in that dilemma, that fork in the road, and I've got only one choice as a follower of Christ. I've got to circle the word Lord and cross off my no. I don't have a no anymore. I was thinking about that um, when I reflected on Luke chapter 9. Here's what it says in Luke 9. These are familiar verses. Jesus said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Say no to himself, right? That's what I mean. Deny yourself 
take up the cross daily and follow me, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life because of me will actually save it. That's in Luke 9, 23, 24. Jesus is saying there's, there's, there's only one way to follow me and to have life that is truly life. This is not a burden. This is, this is not a bummer for you. You're going to find joy in this. You're going to find life in this. Learn to say no to yourself and yes, yes to me. So the good soldier shares in sufferings because he's dutiful, right? Then he goes to the athlete, right? It says, if anyone competes as an athlete, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So good athletes want to win fair and square. They want to know that they've won. They want to win with integrity. They want to know that they truly, you know, exceeded all their peers, that they really won the race. And there's only shame brought on athletes that win by by cheating. So right now, you guys, uh, the Tour de France is going on. I know nothing about cycling, nothing at all. But if you pick up the news, look anything about sports, you're going to see, you know, what's going on in the Tour de France. All of a sudden, you're into it, right? Well, right now, there's this guy, Mark Cavendish, that was seemingly, you know, done. In fact, he almost just retired outright not long ago because his, his, you know, his cycling seems to be falling apart. Now, all of a sudden, he's exceeding and winning all these. And and so, the whole world is kind of cheering on this dude from this little island off off the UK and just cheering him on really cool. So, how cool if this guy kind of from the back of the pack can all of a sudden make it, you know, and win Tour de France. But you guys remember, conversely, it wasn't that many years ago, Lance Armstrong right, from the U.S. Lance Armstrong was the pride of the world, especially U.S. Girl, you know, and wanted, and then we find out later, cheated. He was doping the whole time. And all of a sudden, this guy that went from being a hero that we all celebrate to, like, now we associate his name with, with shame, right? Like, embarrassment. Like, oh, man, what, you cheated. That, that doesn't, you don't win when you cheat. So what I'm saying is Paul's trying to bring these just everyday kind of ideas to us. The athlete only wins if you play fair, if you play according to the rules. Look, look at chapter four with me real quick. Chapter four, because Paul comes back to this analogy. Actually, all three of these, the, the soldier, the athlete, the farmer, he comes back to these analogies often, but in chapter four of the same book, verse seven, he says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And it's not just for me, for all those who have loved his appearing, right? He's saying, win with integrity. Cross that finish line knowing that you, you honored the rules. You did it according to the rules. You, you followed the Lord, and, and there's, there's a crown waiting for us. So, enduring faith. We can, we can look to the soldier. We can look to the athlete. And then he says about the farmer, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. So think about it. The good soldier suffers, but there's a victory, and, and, and that's awesome. So the athlete suffers painfully, trying to get himself ready, but there's a crown waiting for him. That's awesome. The farmer suffers painfully, toils, and yet there's a harvest that's waiting for him. But here's the thing. Unlike the soldier and unlike the athlete, the farmer, like, history books aren't written about famous farmers, <laughs> Right? Sorry for those of you who are farmers, but I'm just saying, like, there's no heroic feats of farming, right? There's no, like, dude, you're the best farmer. You know, maybe your neighbor or something gives you a high five or the fence line. That's about it. There's There's no fanfare. There's no ticket tape parades for farming. They just do it because people need to eat, right? They grind away. They toil. They do everything they need to do because there's a harvest at the end of it. There's no heroics. There's no, you know, sparklers, whatever. And guys, 
first century farming, the analogy that he's trying to draw us to, it was tough. First century farming was much like these guys uh, that were in the picture in Zambia farm. Today, there's, there's no drought-resistant seed, right? If you didn't get rain, you didn't, couldn't irrigate. <laughs> if you did, it was carrying buckets from the river, right? So no drought-resistant seed, no herbicides, no 24-row planters. I mean, my Zambian friends would just die if they could see, you know, just planting these massive fields with these huge planters. No combines at the harvest, all done by hand in the first century, right? The work began in early spring, months and months later. You didn't get to see any fruit of it until finally the harvest. And even then, it wasn't like, oh, sweet. Oh, it was like, oh, man, go out and pick it all by hand beat it with a stick to let all the kernels come off. That was first century farming. And the prize you get was you get to eat. <laughs> that's, that's what you got at the, at the end of it, right? Here's why I think he clusters these, these illustrations together. Because you guys, people often endure suffering all around the world for less than eternal motivation. They're, they're not driven by e- eternal things. You know what I'm saying? They're not, they're not driven from an eternal perspective. They're, they're just in the army. They're, they're just a runner. They're, they're just a simple farmer, whatever. And yet they endure suffering. And what he's trying to say is, guys, how much more we who are Christians? Because we know for sure we have a commanding officer and that ultimate victory is assured us. How much more should we give ourselves to suffering for a a, a, a war that is going to be won for us. How much more should we p- compete according to the rules and lean into the finish line all the days of our life? Why? Because there is a crown waiting for us that will never fade away. I mean, even the greatest athlete knows as soon as he's done, as soon as he retires, somebody else is going to beat him or her, right? Somebody else is going to best that record. That's just the way it goes. But we have a crown waiting for us that will never fade, never, never spoil, never tarnish, never rust. There is a harvest waiting for us. There are going to be people of every tribe, tongue, and nation joined together in this feast and this harvest. There's going to be fruit trees. The the tree of life, even, that we will see is going to bear brand new fruit in every season. We're going to enjoy all that, right? How much more should we be motivated to endure suffering, to have enduring faith through suffering when we know what is coming for us? And so looking at these human examples and watching them endure should motivate us like we should be fueled by so much more. So let me just poke a bit and then we're going to continue through the passage. Let me just poke it a little bit. Guys, the American church, you and me, and I'm throwing myself absolutely in this pack, we are often flabby and lazy in our pursuit of Christ. We have this idea that because we're Christians, we're, we deserve this, this idyllic life, our best life now. Somehow we, we have this idea that we should be, because we're Christians, kind of insulated from any kind of suffering. And the minute any kind of even minor suffering happens, we just throw our hands in the air. Or maybe we throw ourselves down like some toddler throwing a fit, right? Because we think, we don't deserve this. Right? And we, we're so weak, <laughs> so weak, unprepared for any kind of suffering. And I'm just saying, any of us who want to throw in the towel because we have any kind of suffering come our way have apparently never read this book. Because a problem-free, 
suffering-free life. Has never been promised to us as followers of Christ. And in fact, the Bible seems to do backbends trying to say, prepare yourself because the way of Christ is the way of suffering. And through that suffering, it's not going to bring you ultimate pain. It's going to bring you ultimate joy and fulfillment and life that is truly life. And at the end of the day, when you close your eyes in death, you awaken to an unbelievable future that no eye has seen or mind can even begin to fathom, right? Man, I just want to learn what it means to practice enduring faith, to stop being so weak, to stop being so flabby in my Christian life. I just want to learn what it is to endure the way that Paul is teaching us. So he goes on to, to help us get out of our, you know, dull kind of faith into the life that is truly left. So then look at in verse 7, he gives us another point. He says, consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I just want to make this actually a point in and of itself, just verse 7. And here's why. It really caught my attention this week. Is this the way we encounter biblical teaching? Do you consider what the Bible's saying? He's, he's saying, think about what I'm saying. So don't just rush through your Bible. Don't just get your Bible reading done, mark it off, you know, get in there. No, what he's saying is, hey, hey, whoa, 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 hey, reader, stop a minute. Think about what I just told you. In fact, I was, I was talking to Mark earlier this week, and I'm like, man, I don't get the connection between the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer, but I come to verse 7, and I'm like, I just need to consider it. I just need to wait. I just need to let it roll around in my mind. I need to pull over and park. I need to ponder it longer. I need to meditate on it, right? Because the second part of that promise is consider what I'm saying. Because the Lord will give you understanding. The Lord guides us into all truth, right? John 16, several other passages. The Holy Spirit is within us to guide us into all truth. And so when we hit pause, meditate, consider what he's saying, all of a sudden we find understanding coming to us because the Lord is the one teaching us. It's not because we find ourselves so brilliant. No, I finally get it. You know, oh, I got, no, no, no. The God himself is guiding us into all truth. And so my appeal to you is if you want enduring faith, spend more time in your Bible. And maybe it's even don't spend more time with just more Bible. Spend more time considering the Bible that you already have in front of you. <laughs> Pull over, park there, consider what he's saying. I believe that God is going to guide you. He's promised to guide you into all truth. He's going to guide you into your, your understanding. We actually just did this, by the way, real quick. At, uh, we have this kind of temporary connection group, some, some of the old folks of Veritas. We, we, we formed a summer uh, little connection group. And last week, Dale had us do this thing where he took just a few verses out of Isaiah 40, and he split us off into twos and threes, and all we did was read over and over and over these verses, and then come back, and every observation, there were just scores of observations we came to from just this handful of verses. I'm just saying, spend time in your Bible. Don't move on too quickly. Consider what he's saying. The Lord will give you understanding, especially if there's a, a confusing part. Say, wow, God, I'm not going to get mad because I can't get this. I'm going to ponder this for a while. I'm going to let it ruminate in my soul for a few days. I, I, I really want you to guide me into all understanding and truth. Okay, last point. Enduring faith, honestly, ultimately comes because we look to Jesus Christ. He starts this last passage, remember Jesus Christ. 
So yes, there are soldiers that will help motivate you, tell you something about enduring faith, athletes, farmers. The Bible itself, but ultimately, even the Bible itself is transparently taking us to Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from David according to my, my gospel, right? Here's the thing, guys. Paul is not telling Timothy, oh, you're encountering some difficulty? Man up! Dig deep! Come on! You know, find that strength in you. No, no, no. Look at that very first verse we ever read today, 2-1. 2-1 where he says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Our strength is not found deep within. Guys, you can dig deep all day long. That strength isn't in you. <laughs> the strength that we need to endure, enduring faith is anchored in Jesus Christ. Ultimately, not in yourself. Not in your own capacity to push forward and get some grit. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember that it was Jesus Christ who voluntarily stepped into a life of suffering. We're followers of Christ. We follow the path of stepping into suffering. He left the glories and security of heaven to step into poverty, to step into homelessness, to step into actually real fear because there were people who wanted to kill him, right? He stepped into all of that, walked right into pain, walked right into that unjustifiable death that he would have only so that he could shatter the grave. That's what he says. Remember Jesus risen from the grave, but don't forget what put him in the grave. Don't forget the suffering, the pain, the untimely death of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, but he walked into that with his eyes wide open, walked into that so that he could rise from the grave. Why? So that he could bust it way open for all of us. So that he could open your grave and my grave so that he could invite us and sweep us into eternal life and prepare a place for us. He sits enthroned as the king, right? And descended from David, the king, waiting for us to join him. That's why Paul says, hey, that's why I suffer. Look at that very next verse. That's why I suffer because I know there's purpose in it. <laughs> Because I know that Jesus did that, and on the other end, there was glory. Well, now he's compelling me on that path. That's why I suffer. In fact, that's why he goes on to the very next verse. That's why I'm enduring all things, so that the rest of you could know this hope. Because life is full of suffering. But when we know Christ, that suffering takes on meaning. That suffering is not for nothing. That suffering is actually preparing in us a weight of glory. That, that suffering in us prepares us for what is yet to come. All of a sudden it has, guys, there's ultimate victory for that soldier. There is ultimate crowns awaiting that athlete. There is ultimate harvest for that farmer when we remember Jesus Christ. I do want you to focus on the last couple verses, because they're a little tricky, okay? It says it's a trustworthy statement in verse 11. If we died with him, we will also live with him. That's, yes, okay? We die in Jesus, we live, right? We, we know that. If we endure, we'll reign. Now, endurance, right, the very word assumes through pain, through suffering, through toil. So if we endure, ah, at the end of it, we reign but now there's a pairing, there's a pairing of, of glory. Now he's going to flip to the other side of the coin. If we deny him, he will also deny us. 
And if we are faithless, oh, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. So some people want to look at that last little phrase and say, oh, see, even if, even if I don't have faith, well, he's going to be faithful and he's going to take me to heaven anyway. Actually, that's not what it means. He, he's, he's using perfect Hebrew parallelism. Now he's writing in Greek, but he's a good Hebrew boy, right? And he's like Proverbs kind of parallelism, two sides of the, of the coin, right? So on the, on, the, on the one side of the coin are those first two things, right? If we died, we'll live. If we endure, we'll reign. Flips the coin over. If we deny him, he'll deny us. And if we're faithless, when it says he remains faithful, what he means is he's going to be faithful to his word, faithful to his promise. He's a truth speaker, trustworthy. Guys, the gospel is a double-edged sword. The, the gospel has two sides of the same coin. I, I, I want to illustrate that with, with maybe the most memorable verse in the whole Bible, John 3.16. Here's what John 3.16 says. It's wonderful. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And man, we celebrate John 3.16. That's how we know that we have life in Jesus Christ because he died for us so that we could have eternal life. Flip the coin on the other side. God did love the world in this way. He gave his one and only son. Absolutely true. On the other side of that coin, everyone who denies Jesus, everyone who disbelieves in Jesus, refuses Jesus, will perish and will not have eternal life. Right? God is faithful to his truth, faithful to the gospel, faithful to his word. If you remain faithless, no, he's going to be faithful. But now is that moment where we can actually call on that faithfulness of our God to save us. Remember Jesus Christ. The reason he went to the cross is because we know what it is to be a disobedient soldier, right? We know what it is to be disobedient. And yet Jesus says, oh, but I died on the cross to forgive you for your disobedience. I know you didn't always say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. You said no often, right? But I died for you in your rejection of me. And now you're, okay, forgiven. Because we were that rule-breaking athlete. <laughs> we were that lazy, slothful farmer at times. Right? We, were all, we broke all of it. And that's why Jesus came, to die for us. Because he realized we didn't deserve it. <laughs> he's the faithful one. And right now he's offering you eternal life. If you will believe in him, he will secure for you eternal life. That's why we remember Jesus. And if we remember Jesus and what he has done for us, no matter what comes our way, worth it. No matter what kind of suffering, no matter what kind of toil, I'll endure it. Why? Because Jesus Christ has given me life, eternal life, and with it all things. So this morning, we are going to remember Jesus Christ. We are going to do exactly what Paul says. We're going to think about the farmer and the athlete, but we're going to remember Jesus Christ. So what we've done is we've prepared the table, the communion table. And this morning, I really want you to ask yourself the question, are you a Christian? Are, are you a follower of Christ? 
As Jesus opens the door of invitation and beckons us to come to the table, to remember what Jesus has done for us, is that table for you? Have you said, yes, Jesus? And if that's true, if you are a follower of Christ, come to the table. The tables are up here in the back. Actually, at each one, by the way, there, there is a gluten-free, the smaller little bowl behind is gluten-free. Um, and, and actually, this morning, what we're going to do is, is they're, gonna, they're going to dismiss you by row to be able to go and, and take communion. So just kind of follow along. But here's what I also want to say. Maybe this morning, it's time for you just to consider what Jesus is saying, right? Just like Paul just wrote here. If this is actually a moment where you're like, man, I actually need to not rush to the table, but to consider what Jesus is saying to me, please do that. Please pull over and say, God, would you lead me into truth? I find in my heart confusion. I find in my heart some doubt. I I just need, God, will you secure your truth and your grace in my soul But if you come this day and you are saying, Lord, I believe, I believe, I remember Jesus Christ and what he's done for me, then I invite you to the table. And as we do that, let me pray for us. Jesus, it is amazing to us as we contemplate and consider, Lord, Jesus Christ. When we take of the table today, Lord, it's because we bring nothing to it. We bring nothing in our hands except need and gratitude. So help us, Lord, to realize that this bread represents, Lord, a body that was broken for me. Blood that was shed for me. And now I can have life. And so Jesus, receive this as our act of worship to remember what you've done on our behalf. We pray these things in Christ's name.